1: Two of the Locked On NBA podcast. I'm David Locke, Kevin Pelton, part two of this conversation. We'll talk about evaluating players and the ESPN project of working through the top five top players of all time. We actually had that debate at dinner the other night, came up with our top ten of all time. This was done after the interview, but the people involved have asked to remain somewhat nameless, but our top ten. NBA players of all time were Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Tim Duncan, Oscar Robertson, LeBron James, Shaquille O'Neal, Wilt Chamberlain, and Akeem Olajuwon. No Bill Russell. No Kobe. No Kevin Garnett. You can debate amongst yourselves. Send me your thoughts as well. If you'd like to, at Twitter, at Locked on Sports. You can also follow me on Facebook at David Locke and Locked on Sports as well. This is episode, well, really part two of episode one of the Locked on NBA podcast. You can get it now on iTunes as well. Leave a nice review. We'd really appreciate it. Here's part two. I have uh, two more things to discuss with you. One may be so loaded that we should wait for another time, but we're going to do it. So I'm watching, being in Utah, Gordon Hayward on a nightly basis. And trying to figure out how he ranks. And then I go and I watch Damian Lillard, who until the Oklahoma City game had really been struggling late in games, and then he went just crazy in Oklahoma City, trying to figure out where he ranks. And then I compare those two guys to Jimmy Butler, who's having this great year, but is surrounded by Pau Gasol and other Taj Gibson and... Derrick Rose, who at least takes attention on, you know, we can debate how good he is, or Paul George, who's surrounded by some good players, or Clay Thompson, who's surrounded by unbelievable players. How do we evaluate these players in this league that are somewhat comparable, and yet their roles and their surround, supporting casts are so dramatically different?
0: Very carefully, I guess is the answer. I mean, I think Clay is the better example here because of the fact that he's the third option on offense. And he's playing with, you know, the the MVP and a guy who's ascended to another level in terms of the attention he draws offensively. And that totally changes th- things for him. I looked at a few weeks ago, you know, I was writing about the best shooting guards in the league, looking at Harden, Butler, and Clay Thompson. You know, how much better he is with Steph Curry on the court. Like, it's a totally different player. We saw that when Curry was out of the lineup for a couple games. He played well against Houston because... The Rockets might have some issues defensively, but against Dallas, the uh, team we mentioned earlier is being good, well coached, both he and Draymond Green really struggled in that game. Steph Curry made a difference for them. So, I mean, I think you know the first layer for me has always been the usage versus efficiency trade-off. So, what that means to newer listeners who might not be familiar with that concept is: is a player's share of the offense that they're responsible for, in terms of you know, usage rate is plays you end with either a shot attempt, a trip to the free throw line, or a turnover. You can get broader and include assists, and then also consider assisted baskets versus unassisted baskets. These are all sort of play into the same concept. But the more, if essentially, you have to do for your team on offense, the less efficient you are. I mean, this is just kind of an obvious thing. Where if you have to take more shots, you're going to take harder shots. The next shot you choose to take will be slightly harder because otherwise you would have passed it up to get a better shot for your teammate or something else. And, you know, I think that starts to explain a lot of it, but it can't necessarily, there's always nuances within it in terms of how skills fit together and interlock. And, you know, some guys, there's different, curves of usage versus efficiency that's a dean oliver concept that he introduced in the book basketball and paper that each guy has their own curve and stars are notable because they don't lose as much efficiency as their usage increases as a guy who's a role player does so if you ask kyle Korver to be a lead option on offense his efficiency is going to plummet in a hurry if you ask kobe bryant to be your fifth option on offense He's actually not going to get all that much better because he's not a great catch-and-shoot player. His skill is the ability to create and hit contested shots.
1: His skill was or his well,
0: skill is? It still is on the right <laughs> night. It still is on the right <laughs> night. All right. ESPN,
1: you guys are doing a – you're going to solve the ultimate debate. Yep. The all-time starting five. You pronounced Magic Johnson as your all-time point guard. I haven't looked at it today, but I'm assuming Michael Jordan's the all-time shooting guard. So you're going to build your all-time what, – what's the story here in building the all-time five-man lineup?
0: Well, it's a, a more general concept of we've had the NBA rank before seasons, which is uh, a popular, fun uh, exercise trying to rank the league that I, I think is really useful. You know, some people – scoff at it naturally as just a popularity contest or something like that but to me it's useful to have a sense of what the conventional wisdom is because we talk so much about players are overrated or underrated well how are they rated like who determines that and this to me is a good benchmark for that sort of thing so now we're kind of applying that to all of nba history which is a more interesting exercise you know nba history we don't talk about it probably as much as baseball history for any number of reasons it wasn't as well recorded for many years we don't have complete stats you know, the stats going back even past 1977, which is kind of amazing, whereas in baseball you can reconstruct, you know, something that happened in 1920 as well, almost as well as you can reconstruct something that happened yesterday uh, if there were a baseball game in the middle of January. So, and then the the Basketball Hall of Fame is not as popular as the Baseball Hall of Fame. You don't see those kind of de- debates as much. So I'm, I'm excited that we're kind of wading into that as, uh, as much as I know it's sure to ruin my Twitter replies for the next couple weeks here.
1: So in that sense, when you when you did this, did you vote one through like fifty in each position? When, what did you? How did you do each position? Rank uh,
0: the way it was done, and, and this is similar to the way the NBA rank was done this season. Is it's head head comparisons, and then you use those to determine you know who in the aggregate is ahead of whom?
1: Give me an example.
0: So it's like you know Michael Jordan versus John Stockton. Okay, so people are all probably with all due respect to John Stockton, an amazing player. Shout out to him people are going to pick Michael Jordan, so he's ahead of him. And then you have enough competitions of, you know, Jordan versus Chamberlain, Jordan versus Abdul-Jabbar, Jordan versus LeBron, that you can rank those players among themselves, each other, and then also where John Stockton fits in.
1: How do you rank a guy like Steve Nash who won two finals? I mean, two MVPs, and yet never went to the finals. So he's he's truly, I mean, two MVPs, back-to-back MVPs, has not, been done very rarely in this league. And so... But I don't think he's put in that category. I think you guys had him as the fifth best point guard of all time. Yet, John Stockton never won an MVP. I don't think Isaiah Thomas will ever won an MVP. They were both ahead of him.
0: No, neither of those guys did. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, first off, that's going to depend from voter to voter. So one of the things I did to help inform this, and we'll surely be rolling this out on ESPN.com over the next few weeks in my columns, is uh, put together rankings of expected championships added. So the logic is like this. If you have a guy, and I use win shares because basketballreference.com has it going back throughout all of NBA history, unlike, you know, say my wins above replacement statistic, which I only have back as far as turnovers are calculated. So if you have 10 win shares, your team wins a championship, you know, let's say 10% of the time. If you have 15 win shares, your team wins a championship 20% of the time. So if you subtract out you know that there's a 1 in 30 chance of winning a championship just by being on a roster, period, that's how much you've added to your team's chances of winning a championship. And then you can do a similar exercise for the playoffs. I did it a little bit different there, uh, the chances of winning each series, wh- how much you increased that. Uh, and that's your championships added in the playoffs. And then uh, a little fun part of it is I also was able to apply that to the awards that have existed throughout all of history. All-stars, which goes back to, I believe, 51 MVP, which goes back to 56, and all NBA first and second teams have existed since the beginning of the league. So, you know, your chances, if you're a first team all, all NBA player, your team wins a championship about 13% more often than average. So you get credit for that. So uh, Nash scores really highly in the awards category because of the two MVPs he won. Doesn't score very highly in the playoff category because of the fact that his you, you know, he was as good in the playoffs, certainly, as he was in the regular season, but his teams didn't have as deep playoff runs. And, uh, you know, sort of combined all of those to help inform my rankings. So, you know, I think Nash ends up about where we had him, which I think was sixth. I think he was behind Isaiah.
1: If you break the NBA, so the modern NBA I would classify is 79, it's the Magic Larry era, and then there's the 70s era, which is the Lou Alcinder, Oscar Robertson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar kind of group. And then there's the pre-version, which I'm not even sure what it is, but it's the Jerry West, Elgin Baylor. And then you go to the George Mikan. Like, how many, if, you, if, you, if we think about it in that realm, and I'm not totally prepared to do this, but let's, how many players from the original era, so the Dolph Shays, George, did any of them make the top ten at a position in your rankings?
0: In my statistical version, yes. I mean, that's obviously the biggest challenge. So there's a, there is the strength quality of play adjustment. So I started to look at this over the summer. Uh, During the after the finals, we ranked the Warriors all time against the best teams uh, in NBA history, and when I did it that time, you know, I looked at basically how much your minutes per game decreased from one year to the next to evaluate how much the league improved or got worse. So you'll see like when there's expansion, players play more minutes because there's more minutes to go around. Vice, you know, when there's not so contraction, but over time, as better players come into the league, you play fewer minutes and the league gets better. Uh, So at that point, I did it, and it said basically, you know, the 60s were actually the hardest period by that assessment because there was only eight teams right up until 66, 67 when they started expanding, and then the ABA comes in the next year, and there's rapid expansion, and then, like, it actually hits its lowest point in the early 70s because there were so many teams between the ABA and the NBA. Uh, And then now we've kind of, 80s were very hard.
1: I'm jumping in here. I don't want to lose our conversation, but... We have almost gone through a rise similar to baseball did when they entered, let the Negro League in when we started letting international players in. Well, it wasn't the official ban, but it was a ban. Like we didn't have international players. Is the game? So what do you find with the game today? We have so many teams, but we also have a world game, which we didn't used to have.
0: Right, which was what was unsatisfying about that is feeling that the league was – Worse off now in terms of competitiveness in the 80s, because that doesn't match what makes sense in terms of when I've looked at the size of the player pool now, which is enormous given that we haven't ex- added a team in 11 years now. And, uh, you know, I've only added four in the last 25 years or, you know, whatever the math is now on that. But, and the inc- just the influx, not only the increase of the U.S. population that time, but then the influx of international players. So I wasn't totally satisfied with that adjustment. I did a little bit different this time. That time, I took out the factor that, you know, said players are going to play less minutes because they're aging. That's part of the difference. If you take that out, though, it turns out that then it says that the league is continually getting better over time, and this is the best it's ever been. And, you know, the 90s were very close in terms of competitiveness. Even the 80s were very close. But once you get past back beyond that, you know, it's a much lower level of play. So that took a lot out of the statistics for for most of those guys and I think made a pretty satisfying rankings except for someone like Mikan, who was so dominant in his era that either you have to like completely devalue his stats or he still ends up as like a about a top 10 guy before you factor in awards where he just he, the MVP didn't exist when he was playing. So I don't have a satisfying answer for the, how good Mikan really should be.
1: All right so I, I'm doing this totally off the top of my head. You can change it. but So if we call the original era the Mike and Shays era, anybody else other than Mike that gets ranked in this, that in, was in your ballpark of top pl- ten players of their position?
0: Uh, Yeah, Shays definitely was in there. There's a few other random players. Um, you know, Cliff Pettit. Bob Pettit. Bob, Pettit, Bob Pettit's sort of on the fringe of that because obviously he played against Russell. I consider Russell entering the league as sort of the cutoff to the next era. And
1: so that's... And when did Russell enter the league? Think, Out of USF,
0: I think fifty nine.
1: So we have fifty. So we have the 59-60 no, run. No, earlier than that. But so anyway, so we have the Russell Chamberlain. Is that Jerry West? Yes. That Elgin Baylor. That's the beginning of Oscar leading into the second. Are you calling Oscar the Lou Alcindor? No, Oscar's still year. part of the that first. Still, I mean, is that still part of that same era?
0: I Are mean, Oscar's. That, Triple-double season was the same year as Wilt's 50 season, and Russell won MVP that year. So I I think of those three as peaking in the same era, even though uh, Robertson was still around to be the second-best player on the the Lew Cinder Bucks championship team in 71. So from that era, how many of them kind of end up? I mean, I think those guys... uh, I'm trying to think who else might have been in there. I mean, you can make an interesting case for Sam Jones based on his playoff contributions ends up really high in that that version. So, you know, there's a few players sprinkled in here or there.
1: All right, and then I guess the obvious question. So I guess how were you able to – do you feel comfortable in being able to appropriately credit the past generation's to the more modern game that we all see now. I think baseball, I feel like, goes the other way, right? Like baseball, I feel like DiMaggio and Mantle and Mays and Ruth are untouchables when, frankly, Mike Piazza had an offensive season as a catcher for the Dodgers many years ago that was just blew Campanella and Barra out of the water. I feel like we're the other way. We assume that Jordan and LeBron, and maybe rightfully so, maybe in an athletic game we're right on this one, um, are so superior to what came, came before us.
0: I, I feel pretty good about where I ended up, but it's, of course, compared to, you know, my conventional wisdom, and I, I obviously didn't get a chance to see any of those guys play. I've not watched that much film of them. But, uh, you know, basically it ends up with, in my model, you know, uh, fairly similar at the top. They're fairly close.
1: Your all-time five is?
0: I don't know if I want to give that away yet. Oh. i got to keep something. I've got to sell those insider subscriptions.
1: Yeah, but... Who's number one's not going to sell them? It's where you placed the guy in the top ten or so of each individual favorite team, right? Like the Wes Unseld fan of the old Washington Bullets is going to want to know if the greatest outlet passer in the history of the game makes the top ten. The Jazz fan is going to want to know where John Stockton ranked, not if he ranked
0: number one. All right, well, actually, I want to share a thought on this, because one of the things I look back on is uh, ESPN did a list about a decade ago of their top ten point guards. And it was interesting to compare it to the top ten point guards that we had this time around. So Stockton was either fourth or fifth in that one. He was behind Isaiah, and they flip-flopped at some, time in, at some point in the last ten years. And I think that actually speaks a lot to the increased value that's placed on advanced statistics now.
1: Or that John Stockton was smart enough not to run a franchise.
0: <laughs> well, he was, I mean, Isaiah was – this was like 2006, so it was right in the nadir of the, the Isaiah Knicks. So I don't think that helped him.
1: I, it's an interesting – I, always, I said to you as we walked out of the restaurant today when we had lunch, I always have a hard time with Stockton because I really, really, really value first team all league. I just think that's such an – just to be the best at your position and first team all NBA to me is such an important thing when I'm evaluating the greatness of players. I mean, when we're separating the greatest of the great, to me that is just the signature. And that kills Stockton because magic was around for so much of it and and so that I think he only has one or two first year all NBA seasons, which seems crazy for how great he was but I don't know like that to me when you that's a very important measure for me. I know it's reporters voting it's, it's frankly the same thing as the, the flip side of this, a baseball argument is like Don Sutton, I think made the Hall of Fame. I think you could argue he was never better than the third pitcher on a staff he was on. You know, and it's like, whoa, wait a sec. I think I'm exaggerating slightly, but, like, really? Like, he never was you know, it just seems to me – that, to me, is a huge, huge thing for me is to be first team all NBA if you're going to look him at the history of the game.
0: And that also speaks to sort of the larger question of peak value versus longevity. That is a tough one, I think, for all of us to value. That's one of the things I like about this championship's added model is it sort of implicitly does it. If you're someone that's just hanging around compiling stats at the end of your career – that doesn't help you almost at all because you have to get to like five win shares to add any chance of winning a championship above just being on a roster. So, you know, that doesn't really help guys. But on the other hand, if you're someone like Stockton who was a very good point guard right till his final day in the NBA, that adds a fair bit to your career. And I think that helps him. And then the other thing is you kind of got to account for, uh, like you said, the competition. And then also you wonder if Stockton had played a decade later when we valued the point guard play differently and just looked at that position differently. Like, it's hard to compare him and Nash and say that Nash was better in the seasons that he won MVP, you know, given that Stockton was doing similar things offensively and then also is the all-time leader in steals.
1: You just made an interesting comment. You just dove in there. And I don't ever understand win shares entirely, and I still don't understand wins over replacement player because I'm just not smart enough. But the idea that... uh five wind shares per season moves the meter yeah give me let's elaborate on this because i think this is a very important concept
0: yeah and that's certainly higher than like what i use as replacement level i mean i think that's probably a little bit of the factor that wind shares does not consider replacement level it's just pure value in terms of time being out on the court but uh you know basically you find that you know, that's someone who either, someone below five win chairs is probably either, you know, a reserve who's pretty good or a starter who's not that good or someone who's just not playing that many minutes and therefore ultimately does not make that much of a difference in terms of whether you win the championship or not. And so, one of the things that you find about the championships added during the regular season in particular is it's exponential. When you go from zero to five, it gives you something. But when you go from five to ten, it increases a lot, ten to fifteen, even more, fifteen to twenty, even more, and then twenty to twenty-five. All of a sudden, you're going like, you know, you've got like a forty percent chance of winning a championship now.
1: So how should we? How does this tell us we should be paying our players?
0: You know, that would that would suggest a model that is very uh, star centric, and that the top players are worth. Enormous sums relative to everyone else who probably shouldn't be getting all that much. I I don't believe quite that much because it's not just championships that is why we're playing players. Obviously, you also want to just make the playoffs and have a successful season. And, you know, one win, two wins can be the difference between that. But uh, it, it certainly reinforces the view that the max salary is much lower than the value for many players in the league.
1: We'll let you chew on that to wrap it up. That is the Locked On NBA podcast with Kevin Pelton, ESPN Insider. Check him out. Give him clicks. Give him love. Send him thanks. See you.